Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, I promise you a very fascinating uh, show today. No matter what your political beliefs, um, you, <laughs> there, there may be some fur flying. I don't know, <laughs> but it will definitely be interesting. I'm calling today's show, Two Psychiatrists Put President Trump on the Couch and come up with opposing opinions. My guest is Dr. Bandy Lee. She is a medical doctor, a forensic psychiatrist, and a world expert on violence. She became known to the public by leading a group of mental health professional colleagues in breaking this, this I'm reading from her bio, in breaking the silence about the current U.S. president's dangerous mental impairments. She's currently president of the World Mental Health Coalition. She has written a number of books, um, the, in regard to um, President Trump, her first book was The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump, 37 Psychiatrists and Mental Health Experts Assess a President. And more recently, in fact, uh, came out just October 10th, uh, she wrote Profile of a Nation, Trump's Mind, America's Soul. And she's also written a book about violence um, as well. Well, you know, Bandy, I, I'll, what would you like me to call you, Dr. Bandy? Bandy's fine. Okay. Um, I, I certainly know who you are <coughs> from, you know, seeing your various commentaries, and I would imagine that you probably know who I am. Uh, I have looked you up, and it seems like we <laughs> come from the same city, and you trained at uh, Bellevue, where I did my internship, and uh, we seem to have similar backgrounds. Yes, you know, I was I was looking you up too as, as well. Although, of course, before that, I've come across various things. I mean, I think when your book came out, actually, um, I did some interviews talking about it, um, not from the same perspective, <laughs> undoubtedly, that you talked about it. But when I was looking today, you know, when I was looking into your background, I was like amazed at how many similarities we have. Um, you know, as you started to say, well, first of all, we're both psychiatrists. We're both forensic psychiatrists. Um, mm -hmm. You did your internship at Bellevue. I did my psychiatry residency at Bellevue. We were both um, chief resident. I was at Bellevue and you were at Mass General Hospital. Um, we are both very interested and have done a lot of work in the area of violence. Uh, you wrote the textbook on violence, and I, uh, my um, connection to violence was about the impact of media violence on people's psyche, and I was the head of the National Coalition on Television Violence. We're both authors of hmm. numerous books. We're both born in the Bronx. <laughs> oh, is that right? Um, <laughs> uh, we're both licensed in New York. You're also licensed in other states. I'm also licensed in California. Um, we both analyze public figures, uh, despite the APA Goldwater rule. 
and um, we're both uh, did fellowships, NIMH fellowships, National National Institute of Mental Health fellowships. Yours oh, in anthropology. Oh, right. Anthrop- <laughs> <laughs> Very an- impressive. You did the you did the anthropology of violence in Africa, and I did a master's in public health on a fellowship, an NIMH fellowship, and then um, we also both have passions. Uh, not only about violence, but, um, uh, well, I mean, th- that's the thing. That That's kind of, I think I've come down to the bottom of my list of things that we're alike, but it is still pretty <laughs> astounding. It is, it but, is, you know, indeed. <laughs> I'm very, I'm, I'm very surprised and, and delighted. <laughs> and, you know, obviously you come from Korean um, ancestry and I come from uh, European Jewish ancestry, so that's one difference. And then another difference is, the, our political views, not just about Trump, but in general. Um, and so it's, it's really amazing, though, when I was finding one thing after the other that was so similar, and, not, and these aren't like uh, common kinds of things, you know, okay, being a psychiatrist, big deal, you know, being, even if we're both forensic psychiatrists, big deal, but so many other things. And it's so amazing to me how uh, polar opposite we are in regard to um, political views, but also in particular in regard to President Trump, because you have really made this a passion to uh, between the, the books and the conferences that you've led and organized um, at Yale and at the Press Club. Well, that's another thing. I did, <laughs> I did a, uh, something at, a, at the uh, Washington, D.C. Press Club as well for my book on terrorism. Um, so, oh. <laughs> so, so um, uh, just... Uh, sorry to interrupt, but um, uh, because I, if if you actually feel that there isn't something uh, that is a problem with Donald Trump, then that's actually uh, quite surprising. You would be the first psychiatrist I'm speaking to who actually has that opinion. Is that right? Really? You, it, you feel that he is of good health? That he is what? Of good health? He, of good what health and good uh, capacity? Yes. I, I guess I would go further than that. You have, I'll tell you more about that if you would like, but you have not met another psychiatrist who um, is, has positive feelings towards uh, President Trump and towards his mental health? No. Um, uh, there is one psychiatrist who was uh, referred to me as potentially a, uh, an opposite view for the book. But once uh-huh. um, we uh, communicated a little bit on, by email, it became clear that it wasn't so much his clinical opinion, but rather his political view. So, uh, uh-huh. so I ended up not including him, but um, it's interesting that we have this chance to speak. <laughs> Yes, yes. Well, let's see. Um, I think it would be interesting to talk about, I mean, I I read something where you said um, that there is no point, (laughs) there is no point trying to convince people who agree with President Trump, no point using facts and no point using persuasion. And, um, And so you might as well just go turn towards other uh, people or other uh, media, you know, to to um, try to convince them instead of instead of people who. And in fact, I, going even further, 
You said that people, or you implied, I don't have the exact words, but you said that people who um, agree with President Trump or follow President Trump, you know, that there's something wrong with them. (laughs) So, you know, that we're following a fascist leader. So I, um, I wouldn't say, you know, something so much wrong with them, but, but they're carrying um, certain wounds that don't really have to do with um, a rational decision based on uh, having all the right information. And so um, uh, when it happens at a societal scale, then um, usually... Uh, socio-economic and cultural factors are involved, and those are the those are the factors we need to address. Not trying to convince only one way, which um, many people try to persuade and uh, use facts and evidence, and usually those are not really the issues. That's what I meant. Uh-huh. Well, so so what I'm interested in is how somebody like yourself. Um, who, where we, you know, where we're so similar in so many ways, how did you, how did it dawn on you? What made you um, uh, launch on this campaign, basically, that started in 2017, right, when you organized the conference at Yale? What, like, you have such passion behind what you're doing, which I admire, you know, anyone who, I mean, you've really (laughs) put in countless years, actually, in this. Um, I didn't expect to, but it ended up that way. Um, uh, so, so why did I why did I do that? Um, uh, by the way, I yeah, might mention that we have yeah. another similarity, and that I have spent a lot yeah. of time in the California prison system. So, I spent uh-huh. a great deal of time in California. Um, And it was in my experience of uh, working within the prison system, and I have also worked in many other of the more notorious, if you will, um, maximum security prisons around the country, because I wish to have um, a surveillance uh, um, survey view of uh, what the conditions are like and, and also to advise on the programs. Um, It's not so much the case right now, but uh, 20 years ago, there was a great deal of movement in um, moving violent offenders into solitary confinement. Uh, Well, now we're Mm -hmm. seeing the results of it. Um, So at that time, I was trying to advise um, alternative programs and and more... um, uh, therapeutic programs than than putting them in environments where they're prone to becoming more violent, and so it was that experience of working with violent offenders, and I would say that I've treated maybe about a thousand individuals of um, Donald Trump's characteristics, and um, and. <laughs> That was mainly from my prison experience. So when uh, when he rose to the presidency, I recognized him quite well uh, from the patients I have seen, the patient population I have seen. And so I, um, 
I was fearful for public health and safety. And uh, there were already psychiatrists speaking up at that point, including uh, an old uh, colleague of mine from Harvard, Dr. Judith Herman, had written to President Barack Obama at the time, uh, shortly after election, saying that she believed that Donald Trump needed a neuropsychiatric evaluation, and there were several colleagues who signed on with her. And so we, uh, we got back in touch, and uh, that's how we started the conference. I ordinarily, um, contrary to many people's belief, I'm, I'm not very politically engaged and not very politically interested even. Uh, I do mostly global health. And uh, so I wasn't even that tuned into domestic politics, but then this election happened and sort of recognizing a lot of the signs and symptoms and signs of violence proneness in the president, I, I became afraid for public safety. And so that's how I started. And to tell you the truth, I thought it would end with the conference and then the book, uh, which was um, which proceeded from the conference once we decided we had uh, a duty to educate the public about the dangers. And and I thought I would um, put the put these voices together and then be done with it and go back to my academic and clinical life. That didn't obviously happen. So, uh, so I sort of accidentally, uh, got, got, um, uh, uh, was absorbed into this. The real trigger was actually the morning after election. I was, um, I received a flood of phone calls and emails, uh, and messages saying, um, that I, as a violence expert needed to do something. And so that's probably the civic awakening. And then once I saw, uh, that if I purely treated the situation as a medical situation and medical need, then I could apply my knowledge and, uh, assessment. And that's how I got involved. So it's actually easy for me to rule out any political conflicts of interest because I had no uh, political uh, allegiance or affiliation before that and um, wasn't even interested in politics. Uh, I'm sometimes now embarrassed to say that I just barely got out to presidential elections and uh, did very little else. So... um, so it's mainly my concern for society and public health that caught me going. <laughs> well, it's interesting, though, because, um, I mean, originally I was thinking that the only thing that we had such a huge <laughs> polar um, disagreement on was about Trump. But then I was reading about um, your organization, the World Mental Health Coalition. I was looking on the website. And um, I saw that you, besides talking about Trump, um, you have, you support certain other political views. Like, for example, there's something on the website about um, supporting Black Lives Matter. So, uh, so the organization that I'm now president of is actually, um, has as its goal uh, societal mental health. It's not really about Trump, even though there's a great deal about him, but that's 
again, in the interest of public health and societal mental health. So whatever issues we believe um, contribute to societal mental health, not only that, we have statements about the CDC, we have statements about racism as a societal disorder, we have... um, a statement about uh, the children who are separated at the border. All these things um, have the common theme of trying to promote societal mental health. And that's the context in which Donald Trump comes in. But from a certain perspective, I mean, even that, looking at things, um, the, uh, you know, the children at the border, that's a certain political um, belief, you know, or view. It, it could be, but uh, but we're not approaching it as a political view. We're we're approaching it specifically as a mental health issue, because of the um, vast amount of research that is available about the tra- trauma that results from early separation, and the increase of violence that this would result in at a later date, because we're we're creating uh, a bunch of at risk children. And uh, so those are the things we comment on, even if it looks political on the outside, we're, we're really interested mostly in mental health and approaching it from that perspective. The coalition, by the way, has both Republicans and Democrats. Yes, but like, for example, in the, the meetings that you talk about with Congress people, um, Congress members, um, it is mostly Democrats. Um, you know, there was just, one Republican, I mean, uh, and and actually we met <laughs> yes, with okay. uh, quite a few. We met with maybe a dozen uh, aides of Republican Congress members. Uh, it's just the Congress okay. members who did not agree to meet with us, and but we did oh. encounter one and talk with one uh, uh, accidentally. Oh, dear, that's the music for having to take a break. Uh, well, we do, but we certainly will be uh, talking about a lot of other things when we come back. I mean, really, we're just scratching the surface here. With my fascinating guest, <laughs> excuse me, Dr. Bandy Lee, and you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and we'll be right back. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com 
These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, with a very fascinating guest today, um, who, who I am so alike with, except for uh, one one major flaw, where we both have uh, a polar <laughs> opposing uh, views of, um, of President Trump. Um, actually, my guest, Dr. Bandy Lee, says that Trump is a is the killer in chief. <laughs> Which, okay, no, I, I would disagree with that. Um, but we're talking about, you know, there are things that we do uh, agree with and that, that we're so incredibly similar with. Um, Dr. Uh, Bandy Lee has written several books, including uh, the, the main one, the first one, actually, in regard to Trump was The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump. 37 Psychiatrists and Mental Health Experts Assess a President. Then that was uh, came up with a new version. And then her latest book that just came out is Profile of a Nation, Trump's Mind, America's Soul. So um, we were talking about the beginnings. You know, I was very interested in how someone who could be so like me could have gone down such a different path. And... Um, and as I was, uh, I think, off the air, I was starting to say about how it was very clever. Um, I don't think we talked on the air about the Goldwater Rule, but uh, let's talk about that now. Uh, the American Psychiatric Association has what they call the Goldwater Rule. Uh, I'll let you explain it, Bandy. Um, sure. Uh, I consider the Goldwater Rule um, an important standard, and um, it falls under... Uh, the principle that we participate in activities that improve the community and better public health. That's the section it falls under. Uh, so what it says is when you, um, when you're asked about a public figure, uh, that you educate the public in general terms, but you don't diagnose because uh, a diagnosis is something you get from a personal examination and then you get authorization to publicize the diagnosis. Um, so uh, what's special about the Goldwater Rule was that it arose out of a political situation in that uh, Barry Goldwater was running for a presidency and um, Fact Magazine did, did a survey of all American Psychiatric Association members all 12,000 of them, and uh, less than 10% came back with um, irresponsible diagnoses and saying that Goldwater was unfit. Um, but, of course, it was uh, without basis and um, uh, based on very flimsy 
information. And so uh, after Barry Goldwater lost with a landslide, he um, accused the magazine of um, uh, defamation and, and won. And the American Psychiatric Association was embarrassed and was urged by the American Medical Association to put in a rule against diagnosing public figures. And so it ended up with this rule that went into the ethics code. Unlike other ethics codes, it's not based on science or ethical deliberation, but on a political compromise. And I feel that um, because it was because of its origins, it was bound to be abused, and it has been under the Trump presidency. Uh, two months into the Trump presidency, the APA expanded the Goldwater Rule, even though we diagnose differently now since 1980. We depend more on external observations than a personal interview and Uh, Also, um, I mean, the Goldwater Rule was considered so obsolete that there aren't many scholars on it. There aren't any scholars on it. And uh, so it was basically um, not much discussed until the Trump presidency when it now it's become to the uh, to the point where it doesn't just cover diagnosis, it covers any comment of any kind of any objective observable signs. And uh, so in order to keep with the Goldwater Rule now, uh, you would have to violate all the other core tenets of medical <laughs> ethics in order to keep with it because it's currently in absolute order without any exceptions. And uh, that's, that actually goes against any... Um, uh, that goes against the definition of ethical guidelines because guidelines are supposed to be recommendations that uh, that each individual psychiatrist deliberates on using their moral agency, not a FIAT the way they've been using the Goldwater Rule now. Mm-hmm. And so when you um, had your conference at Yale uh, about President Trump um, in 2017... Uh, and then wrote the book, the way that you got around the Goldwater Rule was by calling or saying that you had a duty to warn, to basically saying a duty to warn the American public, which is another, uh, which is looking at a different, more of a legal um, way of interpreting what psychiatrists are able to do. Do you want to explain that? Yes. Uh, well, I was referring more to our general duty to report um, dangerous individuals, uh, duty to warn potential victims, and the duty to protect. I mean, in general, these are all responsibilities that place safety first. And we know that even the sacrosanct Principles of medicine, including uh, patient confidentiality, have uh, their limits in that if someone is in danger, you break those rules or laws and, uh, and could be even held legally liable if you do not break them and uh, protect people's safety first. So, um, yes. so it was based on uh, recalling those duties that... I said that there was a duty to educate and inform the public and therefore a duty to yes. warn. 
Yes, just to clarify and, a little more. So, like, if a, if, mm-hmm. if a psychiatrist, it came from a case in California, actually, where um, uh, a psychiatrist, a patient had told a psychiatrist that he was going to kill uh, someone, and the psychiatrist didn't warn the person and didn't tell the police, and that became um, a law that we are supposed to, if we That's feel right. that there is imminent danger, then we are supposed to tell the police and or the person. So, um, And if the police does not act, we have a duty to protect as well, and that was added on mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. at a later date. So it's a duty to warn and a duty to protect um, that was based on a patient-provider relationship. Now, the APA tried to say that our duty to warn does not apply outside of a patient-provider relationship, but it, in my view, it applies all the more when we have a responsibility to society. We have a duty to warn even non-patients we have no relationship with. Uh, so how much more do we have a duty to warn society, which we do have a responsibility toward? So that was my thing. Mm-hmm. 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 Now, I noticed when I was looking up um, to find out more about the organization that you're the president of, the World Mental Health Coalition, um, I, I, it, there's a big, when you, when you Google it, um, there is a warning <laughs> uh, on top of uh, a caution or a caveat or whatever you want to call it uh, that says that this is not that the World Mental Health Coalition is not the same as apparently now there is this organization called Duty to Warn, and associate, also an association of mental health professionals. But this, this per, is, was, is now run by someone who was one of your, if not co-author, I don't think he was your co-author, but he was someone who contributed to your original book about um, Trump. Uh, uh, yes, I'm talking about John uh, Gartner. John Gartner. Yes. So, so we put in a disclaimer on the front page of our website because uh, Duty to Warn under John Gartner has um, co-opted, copied, stolen our materials without permission in ways that we found unacceptable. In fact, for two years uh, at least since its inception, it has been fundraising based on uh, the... Um, basically misrepresentation of uh, his role and my role. He basically said that the conference I did was his conference and the book that I edited was his book that I did in service (laughs) of him and none of those things are true. In fact, he has a personality disorder, I believe, that is (laughs) leading him to do all these things against people's uh, objections and uh, and he also listed many of the authors as members of his group when they are not, uh, and would not take down our names. And after um, urging him for years, uh, involving three different lawyers, he finally took down the fact that the book was his, that I was merely assisting in him, his uh-huh. work in editing the book. That um, that he finally took down that kind of misleading information, but he still has my name on his website, and he still has pictures of authors and without their permission. And he is just a renegade person who would do anything um, for for his own advancement. And one thing I should alert the public about is that his organization is not of 
mental health professionals only. Uh, there are mental health professionals in there, but it's mostly lay persons. And also, um, he, he is deeply involved in political activities that would actually dis- uh, disqualify him from speaking as a professional. As you know, there are kinds of interests that allow us to then uh, state our opinion as professionals, and, and uh, he has engaged in activities that would disqualify him from that, but are uh, conflicted and, and misleading to the public. So uh, I regret well, including him in the book, yes. and uh, unfortunately I did it at the time against the objection of about half the authors, and I should have known better, so I, I repent, uh, but uh, uh-huh. he's, he is in the book. Uh-huh, Okay. Um, you know, I think I was telling you before we began the show that, uh, that, uh, or during the break, that, um, I, in fact, um, don't, haven't listened to the, even though I was very active in the American Psychiatric Association and started the first, um, group for psychiatric residents at Bellevue, you know, as part of the, they made a, a level for psychiatric residents, um, because of the Goldwater rule and because of how I felt that it was useful uh, to not to diagnose, but to um, use situations that people, well-known people are in, not necessarily just political figures. Oftentimes it was Hollywood stars and so on, people who the public would pay attention to, to Mm -hmm. uh, have them demonstrate certain issues, whether it's, for example, getting divorces, things that make people get divorced, um, or or different kinds of problems, kleptomania, you know, whatever, because mm. it was a way for That's people to learn, a way for people to learn about different issues because they are curious about people who are in the headlines. Um, whereas if mm-hmm. I talked about, you know, uh, a patient, obviously not mentioning the patient's name, but still, you know, um, John Doe, uh, who has such and such that is a lot less interesting than talking about some A-list celebrity who has such and such. So, <laughs> so I, I, I think that, you know, I think that there is room for that. But I do... Um, uh, yes, yes. Uh, I, I, let me just say that ethicists agree with you. In fact, um, ethicists uh, of the Goldwater Rule say that... Um, that even my stringent criterion of a public figure being a danger to the public being a reason for speaking about the person, but otherwise I have refrained. But but uh, um, philosophers of psychiatric ethics have said that as long as it benefits public health, mm-hmm. an education would be one way in which it, um, it would benefit public health that it would be permitted to speak about public figures. And so you are actually in line with uh, some of these uh, ethical scholars. Well, good to know. (laughs) And and in line with that, so I I generally, um, you know, to the extent that I can, like if it's a live interview, I will um, try to always remember to say, uh, that I have not actually personally interviewed or examined so-and-so. Um, and in fact, I did such a thing this morning when I was talking on a radio program about Biden and his encroaching dementia. Now, let me ask you, have you been, I don't know if anyone has been asking you or if you have been talking on your own 
about Oh, um, yes. I Joe. have been asked numerous times about Joe Biden, and okay. uh, my answer usually is um, that there aren't signs of danger, which is my criterion for speaking about a public figure, that I um, usually say I don't have any reason to speak about Joe Biden the way I do about Donald Trump. Now, if I were a political person, I would be bipartisan and speak about both. But since I am strictly a medical person who will only speak to uh, dangers I see to society, uh, I haven't particularly felt that I need to speak about Joe Biden. It seems you feel differently. Yes, and that's really interesting because um, I don't... I. I don't see Trump as a danger. Um, I know you talk a lot about, and we can maybe talk in the third segment about this, um, but about in regard to coronavirus, that you call him a killer in chief, notably in regard to coronavirus. I actually yes, have I mean, opposite. hundreds of thousands of deaths later, <laughs> you still don't believe he's a danger. But, Right, because I don't blame. I can't see how you can blame these coronavirus deaths on Trump. But we'll get into that. Okay, we'll leave it for later. How about Joe Biden? (laughs) Well, I um, uh, now let me just see what (laughs) I I was going to talk about. How he get like gets lost in the middle of sentences, you know, like I just did. Um, well, rather I know what I was going to say. Rather, one of the reasons why, um, which I have been, I yes, I do. I am a registered Republican. Uh, talk about transparency. I am a registered Republican, although I have, I did vote Democrat when it was, uh, when uh, Joe, when Lieberman was running, <laughs> because I felt, you know, a, a connection. But, um, mm-hmm. but I am otherwise a registered Republican. And, um, and I, my particular reason for why I was so in favor of Trump in 2016, um, several things, but the biggest one was because I knew he was going to be toughest on terrorism. And when 9-11 happened, and I know you have some connection to 9-11 too, we should talk about that. But when 9-11 happened, even though by that time I had moved to California, my heart was and still is in New York. And I became the terrorist therapist. You know, I do a lot of work in regard to helping people cope with the ongoing threat of terrorism, the memory of 9-11, and all of that. And so my number one concern was who is going to protect us most from terrorism. So when it comes to Trump, rather than being killer-in-chief, when you think about all the things that he has done to protect us from terrorism, not that terrorists still aren't out there and they're going to be coming back and we're vulnerable now because of coronavirus and all that, but... Um, so, so that's why we have really opposite views about, you know, protection versus killer. Uh, yes, because I believe uh, Donald Trump has actually stoked terrorism. I mean, the greatest rise in domestic pre- terrorism has has been under this presidency in recent years, and so um, that's that's very surprising to me to hear that. But I, I think you wanted to break before going to the next segment, so I'll let you do Well, that. yes, I know. I think we're right at the point now where we needed to break, take a break. So um, let's do that. Uh, I think we're going to have to do this again because there's so much to talk about. My guest again sure. is Dr. Bandy Lee. 
She's a medical doctor, a forensic psychiatrist, and author of several books, including the best-selling book about President Trump, The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump, 37 Psychiatrists and Mental Health Experts Assess a President. I was not one of them, as <laughs> you all now know. Well, we'll be right back. We'll be talking more about President Trump, putting him on the couch, and coming out with two opposite opinions. the experts call toll free right now 1-866-472-5787 and ask our all-star team to answer your question that's 1-866-472-5787 thank you for calling voiceamerica.com are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times do you want help then contact dr carol lieberman today at www.drcarol.com Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey Alexa! Hey Google! Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's, to Dr. Carol's Couch. I want to get right back to my guest, Dr. Bandy Lee. Uh, fascinating. Um, disagreeing. <laughs> we are, I must say, we are keeping this incredibly civilized for two people to feel so opposite about um, President Trump. One thing I want to—I want to make sure we can get to Biden in a minute, but I want to make sure that I mention this to you um, because I think you'll find it interesting. I saw on your uh, website that you did a video um, interview of Mary Trump, and um, yes. who, is, who is a psychologist. Um, but and I read her book, um, and I. Uh, did some media interviews about her. And one of the things that I mentioned was I had did, I did some research into this. Do you know, well, actually, she, she is not licensed. She is not a licensed psychologist. You know, she was trying to promote her book on the grounds that, first of all, she's a psychologist, and second of all, she's his niece. Um, of course, she was born 20 years later, so she had a different view of the family, but still. Um, so, so I, I uh, in the interview, she does make clear that she left clinical psychology because it was just yes. too draining. Uh, shortly after training, it seems, but she had excellent training, and from from uh, the things she brings up in her book, uh, she has very, very sound scholarship. 
So I complimented her in in the interview. If you uh, if you, well, you listen know, to it all the I, way, I, I, I well, I saw that she said that um, about how she's not really. She complimented you for being continuing to be active in the field and so on. She said that she's not very active, and I wondered if it had been after she had seen my national interview where I announced that she was not a licensed psychologist, or whether she was just doing that in general. I had been doing this before. She knew well, that, she, uh, she's actually underplayed her uh, clinical psychology training a great deal. So I, I actually told her she ought to make that a more prominent part than the part of her uh, being the president's niece, which makes it more well, um, in the realm of intrigue or entertainment. But she has a very, very professionally sound uh, assessment well, of the president in my view. You didn't well, we're so. going to disagree. We're going to disagree on that. But actually, <laughs> I have her book on the on my desk, and um, you know, it's it's right on the cover and on the uh, bind on um, the what do you call it, the edge, the uh, of the book. I actually PhD. didn't even notice. I I didn't even imagine that she stopped pra- practicing because she comes across. Uh, I mean, her writing style is very accessible and. Uh, in everyday yes. language, but you can see yes. how her uh, theories are based on very sound um, psychological principles. Um, but that was my impression. Uh, uh, do you see patients? Do you see patients yes. too? Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, um, I, I, I just, uh, I really just have a small um, patient. Uh, a boutique practice, as people like to say, um, because I because of how much forensic I do, and because of my books, and because of my media interviews, and all of that. But mm-hmm. I do still see patients, and um, mm-hmm. and what kind of forensic cases do you do? Everything, civil and criminal. Um, one of my I do a lot of high profile cases. One of my earliest was. Do you remember the case of the Jenny Jones uh, talk show trial, talk show murder? Do you remember that it was in nineteen? It was one of my first. It was my first high-profile case. It was oh, in nineteen ninety-six. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. That was I do the, recall the case of where she. It was um, uh, the the show was really called Same Sex Secret Crush, but she didn't tell the people who she was inviting on the show. Mm-hmm. You know, it was an ambush of the people who. Um, who then found out that their the person who had the crush on them was was gay, and it was, and then the media made out the whole thing to be um, a gay hate crime, which it absolutely wasn't. And I actually am um, in the middle of writing a book about that mm-hmm. um, because I am still in contact with Jonathan Schmitz, and so um, mm-hmm. it, it was a very fascinating story. Um, it's a challenging to juggle those different roles. I mean, being a public personality yeah. and and doing these cases, um, uh, I guess the high-profile ones will be known anyway, but others do, do, uh, do you encounter difficulty? I find I'm discovering both, that some, uh, uh, some uh, states no longer wish to bring me court cases because of my uh, public outspokenness, but I've also gotten a flurry of referrals um, of people wanting me on their case because I have become known. And um, so how do you juggle? Yes, yes, that is a, I have the same, um, that is 
like some people see that as an opportunity, actually, because because a lot of attorneys want to get uh, their own media interviews and so on. You know, they see um, if they know that uh, you as an expert witness can bring them some media attention, then they will want you to be on their case. At least I found that. Um, and mm-hmm. then other people, you know, are are more shy or are afraid of that. Um, and they don't necessarily want that. But, you know, we both, I think the thing is, even though there are things, um, and, and we haven't talked about Biden yet, but we obviously disagree about that. I think he is a danger. And that I, I am trying to warn the public. Oh, a duty to warn. I feel mm-hmm. that I have a duty to warn the public about um, Biden. Because you feel like he has dementia? Is that why? I call it encroaching dementia. He's becoming increasingly demented, you know, increasingly showing increasing symptoms of dementia. And did you know, you probably know this, but do you know that he had um, brain surgery for a, um, an aneurysm that created a brain bleed? And when they were doing the, sur- the workup for that surgery, they found a second aneurysm. And he has lots of other physical problems, too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when, when Hillary was running in 2016, um, I did a number of media interviews about Hillary's, not so much psychological, but men, um, medical issues that she had. Remember when she fainted on, um, on 9-11, but before that, uh, there were other issues, too. And I was saying about how that that would imp- very, I don't even remember all the details of it. But, but the, what was interesting was that the media was much more willing in 2016, much more interested in hearing about the mental and physical um, health that's the right. candidates, and, and they now, are now. Uh, well, uh, certainly I have, uh, I have personal experience of that, um, and that was actually the American Psychiatric Association. When we brought uh, the president's mental health to being the number one topic of national conversation, this was uh, January 2018, a couple months after the book was out, um, the APA stepped in and called us armchair psychiatrists who are using psychiatry as a political tool and doing this for self-aggrandizing reasons. Uh, You can see the irony there. They're breaking their own Goldwater rule, uh, their new version of it, by by attributing all these characteristics without doing any personal Uh exam on on us. (laughs) Um, But uh, they also mobilize the media by enlisting the New York Times and uh, I think they spoke to a number of media outlets behind the scenes to basically uh, install uh, an informal policy not to have mental health experts come on and speak about the mental health of public figures, um, especially mm. the president. And so uh, all of a sudden, within a couple of weeks, we were completely um, blocked and have been since. Well, I must say, though, you somehow managed to get information out somehow because the book became a New York Times bestseller. Well, that was before their intervention. Um, Uh The book Uh became a bestseller. The... um, uh, we raised, I mean, we were interviewing every single day. I was interviewing 15 hours a day. And then after the APA stepped in, um, all the media stopped, came to a screeching halt, and I continued to be invited. I was invited about 70 times to CNN and MSNBC, almost 100% canceled, except for two. 
Um, How likely is that to be chance? And one of the two was because it was a last-minute invitation. And I said to myself, um, if this were, uh, you know, this will get through because there's no time to get to the sensors and lo and behold, Uh I did get through. And I thought that if I were mistaken, then I would be invited again after that time. But no, I wasn't invited again. Uh, again. And producers have you know, now given up trying to invite me. Huh. You know, it's ironic, though. If your book hadn't become a bestseller before then, the APA probably wouldn't have cared and wouldn't have done anything. That's right. Yes, <laughs> that's right. So, so it's, uh, I guess it was, the catch-22 and that if we had influence, then there would be backlash to the point that we're experiencing it. And if we hadn't been effective, then then uh, then there wouldn't have been anything to have backlash about. Um, so uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm glad you heard about me and I'm glad uh, that you opened yourself to this conversation despite our disagreement. That's to your credit. And um, it's very interesting for me to hear about your perspectives. Well, and, and yours as well. Um, we only have a minute left. So what would you like to give out in terms of where people can find you? I guess your website? Yes, I have a personal website dedicated to this issue, bandylee.com, B as in boy, A-N-D-Y-L-E-E. Dot com, And we have a um, conference coming up this Saturday from 4 to 6. It will be online and it will have uh, a number of notable top experts of different fields coming together. Uh, it's a part two of our interdisciplinary conference from March 2019 when top 13 top experts from all different fields came together at the National Press Club to speak about how the president showed signs of unfitness from each of their perspectives. And so we're coming back to review what has happened in the meantime. And uh, again, my the name of my book is Profile of a Nation, Trump's Mind, America's Soul, that is intended to give a psychological analysis of the president, his followers, and the nation, uh, as I believe is needed for us to know right now to be well-informed and to protect ourselves as, as a self-governing citizenry. Okay, well, great. I'm glad you got that all in. And people hear enough from me about uh, the other side of, the, of this equation, so it's good that they get to hear your side, too. Well, thank you so much. Yes, and, and apologies for <laughs> so unapologetically bringing a different, such a diametrically different point of no, view. No, that's... Well, that's good. Um, all right. Well, again, that's abandylee.com, and you can find out all about the conference and so on, more about her books on her website. So thank you, Dr. Lee, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 